Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Give me a good amen if you're in Ephesians 5. Okay, good. I'd like to start our study this morning, guys, with a humorous story. An old couple, an old couple was sitting by the fireside. He looked over at his wife and had a romantic thought. And he said, after 50 years, I found you to be tried and true. The wife's hearing wasn't so good. So she said, what? And he looked at her with that romantic look and sparkles in his eyes. And he said, after 50 years... I found you to be tried and true. His wife looked at him and says, After 50 years, I'm tired of you too. (laughs) Now that's, that's true, is it not? It's true. This morning in our text, Paul teaches through verses 22 to 33, on how to have a godly marriage. How to have a godly marriage. And what we're going to discover this morning is we're going to discover the role of the husband. Now, I've got to be honest with you, we could probably spend four to five to six to eight weeks on these verses alone. We can, But for the sake of continuity and moving through the entire um, book of Ephesians, we, we're going to hit. But you'll, you'll still get the gist of, of the role of the husband. But not only the role of a husband, he's going to say this is the role of the wife. The role of the wife. And let me say this. Nathalie and I were talking yesterday, and I believe, I believe that marriages are being attacked. Would you agree? But let me say this. Let me say this. Godly marriages are ones that are under the most vicious attacks in these last days. You go, why? Well, the reason is simple. Here's why. The concept of marriage, everybody grasps this, okay? You see, you see, it's much, much more than you go, oh, I found the one. Pitter, patter, pitter, patter. Oh, I love her. Oh, let's get, let's get married. Let's get married. Let's have babies. Let's, let's build a house. No, 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 no. Here's why. Listen, the concept of marriage biblically is meant to illustrate Christ's relationship to the church. And it's based on Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. This is where Paul speaks of a Christian marriage. Let's take a look. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 says this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. See that in your Bible? Underline that. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. So again, Paul is going to be quoting, we're going to see he's going to be quoting from Genesis, but I want you to see it again as I want you to feel the impact and the weight of what Paul's saying. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is the mystery. What's the mystery, Paul? He says, it's Christ, and it illustrates Christ and the church. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's go back and let's get the context of why Paul would be quoting Genesis here in the book of Ephesians. Why, Paul, are you talking about marriage? Why? I don't understand. Well, let's do some work. Last week, we learned, if you recall, that we are to walk in the light. Do you remember that? To walk in the light. And also to walk in wisdom. And what Paul does is he gives us some imperatives that we have to take to heart. Have to take to heart. He gives us some imperatives. And he's saying, if you'll, if you'll look, what does he tell us? He says, he says here, see then that you walk circumspectly, not, well, he goes back a little bit. Let me go back because, because that was, that was the whole point here in, he says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are the light of the world. Walk as children of the light. We see that in verse eight. And remember what darkness symbolizes. Darkness symbolizes the, the, the realm dominated by sin and death. Darkness also can refer to the lack of understanding. 
So he says, you what? Well, you were once in this realm dominated by sin. We had a lack of understanding, and the phrase has the idea of relinquishing sin by following Jesus. So you need to walk in the light. That's what he said, walk in the light. We were all once in darkness. And then we realized last week, and you got to grasp this, that walking in the light is related to growth. It's taking steps toward maturity. That's important. In maturity. So what Paul does is he gives us imperatives. Do you know what imperatives are? Those are commands. These are the rules to live by. He says, hey, hey, here's, here's the rules to live by. So you go, what, what is that? Well, here's what he says. He gives an imperative specifically in this text, what we learned last week. He says, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. He says, don't hang out with the world. Don't be over here flirting with the world and getting real close and doing a little, little dance with them. He says, don't, don't have any of those. Don't have no fellowship. Fellowship is koinonia. It's, 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 it's where we get our word when we take communion, how we're one with God. This, Lord, this is, he says, don't do that. Don't have no fellowship. He says, here's what you should do. You should expose them. Oh, I get it. <laughs> this is great. I'm going to be a secret sin sniffer. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? I, oh, you got sin. I, you got sin. You're sinning. <laughs> oh, let me go over here. Oh, man, there's a big one over here. Yeah. Oh, sin. Woo! Yeah. He's not saying that. He's saying expose them. How do we expose? How do you expose the darkness? Simply turn on the light. And the light of Jesus Christ in your life, we don't look down or judge or condemn anyone. The light of Jesus in our life is what exposes. Oh, oh, oh. Don't be surprised that when you expose the light of Jesus, your friends run away. Because their deeds, they're in darkness. They don't know any better. They're just like, oh, it's bright. It's, there's too much light in here. Why? Because what does light do? It exposes everything, doesn't it? All the women here today probably stood in front of a mirror and put on makeup. Some of you took a little bit longer than others. That's okay. But not one of you did it in the dark. You needed the light to expose. Oh, oh, I've got something here. Oh, let me, let me, oh, a little powder, whatever you do. Now, guys, they just go, put some water in my face. Let's go. Give me the man soap. No, anyway, this whole other thing. So, there. so he says, expose them. Expose them. That's imperative number one. Okay? What's another imperative? Well, look at Ephesians 5.15. He see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, redeeming the time because the days are... Here's the imperative. The Greek word here carries the idea of precision and accuracy. See that you carefully with exactness. This is how we should be walking, walking in wisdom. We should have, we should know where we're going. We should know where we're going. In other words, you ready church? Don't meander through life. Do you know how to meander? Women, do you know how to meander? Absolutely. Thank you. Somebody help me out. Yeah. Women meander. Men meander. But sometimes men are very we, we're going in. We know what we want. We're going to get it. We ain't going to, we ain't going to play around. And it's usually you're trying to do something. You're trying to fix something. And so you walk in. You go, here's what I need. Let's grab it. Let's go back and fix it. He says, you walk with precision. This is what I want to do. This is all of us, guys. Everyone should walk with what? With, with exactness. What are we doing? Where's the goal in your life? Where's the goal? Heaven. I want to glorify God in my life. I want people to see the light of Jesus. This is what he's saying. And then he gives us another imperative. If you look at verse 18, because we learned this last week, he says, do not be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Guys, we that's the imperative. Don't drink. Don't be drunk. He says, more importantly, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit of God. So think about think about these. These are just a few If you weren't here last week, you can go back at our podcast, but think about what he's saying. He says, have no fellowship with the the unfruitful works of darkness. Walk circumspectly. Do not be drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's what we learned. Imperatives, commands, are based upon growing in the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen? Maturing in the Lord. Why? Because Paul believes, Paul believes that all y'all, that's a Texas thing, all y'all 
understand verses one to or chapters one through three. You've already understood where you are in Christ. You understand your position in Christ. You understand how he looks at you. You're rejoicing at the fact that you're adopted. You're rejoicing at the fact that you're saved. You're rejoicing that he's seating you in heavenly places. All the heavenly blessings are, you understand that. And so Paul goes, you understand that? And everybody goes, yeah. He goes, now I'm going to give you these imperatives because I don't expect any rebellion. I don't expect any rebellion. Why? Because rules without a relationship, always equals rebellion. Always. I told a story last week about about that same thing. Don't spit in the flower bed. All these kids spit in the flower bed. You know that. But I can't tell you how many men came up to me and said, there was a, there was a don't do this sign, and they did it. I'm going, you're proving the point. But rules... Rules without a relationship. And so, and so what Paul says, hey, have no fellowship with darkness. You go, amen. Paul says, hey, um, walk circumspect. Amen. Hey, Paul says, don't be drunk. Amen. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Why? Because you have a relationship with the God that created you. You have, now listen, it's much, much, oh, 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 what Lord? It's much more than just, I'm saved. I'm saved. You see, so many people, too many people make Jesus Savior, but they never make him Lord. And really, Lord is where the relationship is. He's Lord. What does that mean? I'm not control. I don't have control over my life anymore. God does. That's I have a relationship. It's a relationship. What's a relationship? It's a relationship. It's a relationship. It's a relationship? Yeah. Yeah. Later on in our study, I'm going to show you what was going on in the ancient world and why Paul is addressing marriage. But I want you to think about that. I want you to think about it in your marriage. Your marriage is not based on what? On just rules. Well, husband comes home and tells me what to do. Okay. It's based on a relationship, mutual respect. So you got to grasp this. you got to grasp the whole concept. God's Word is so deep, guys. God's Word is so deep, it blows my mind. And it's often been said... That it's so deep. Well, it's so shallow that a child can play in it, but it's so deep that an elephant can drown in it. So it's deep. It's deep overall. So Paul, as he's writing under the power of the Holy Spirit, keeping the same thought pattern, he writes to us verses 22 through 33. And what's the point? He's saying, here's the thing. It's, it's really simple because imperatives are commands, and so the text should be how to have a godly marriage. How to have a godly marriage. Now, Jot this down if you're taking note. The only way to have a godly marriage is that you are born again and filled with the Spirit. Somebody crosses their hands. They say, well, that's not true. I have a good marriage. And I don't have to go to church to prove it. Or How to have a godly marriage is what Paul is telling us. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. And now you have to be filled with the Spirit. Why would you say that? Well, that's what Paul told us. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with God's Spirit. Now, let me give you a side note. Let me give you a side note. In the message, I'm going to have application for everyone. Whether you're married or single, if you want to be married or not, divorced, whatever the case, there is going to be some great application that you can take home. So don't feel like, well, I'm not married. Oh, it is done. This is the Word of God. And God knew it needed to be in here. But I also want you to think about this. I want you to take a look at your marriage. Take a good look. And you're like, Lord, wow. But also, but also, I want you single folks to take a look at your walk with God, your relationship with God, and apply these imperatives to your walk. Think about this for a second, church. Ephesians, the church of Ephesus, in the book of Revelation, what was it known for? It was known for leaving their first love. Let me show you this. If Revelation 
chapter 2, 4 and 5, Paul, or John is writing as he's, as he's getting this vision, this revelation of Jesus Christ in the island of Patmos, he says this, Nevertheless, I have this against you, Jesus is speaking. He says that you've left your first love. I want you to see that. You've left your first love. He says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here's what was going on in Ephesus at the time of Revelation. They were doing the work great. They had they had bulletins going out. Children's ministry was rocking. Donuts were great. Fellowship was wonderful. And all of a sudden, they realized that they had left. The, they, it wasn't about Jesus anymore. It wasn't about Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to see, because a lot of people said they've lost. They, they didn't lose their first love. They left it. They left it. They They simply left their first love. The Lord Jesus. And that's so important because in the context of what Paul writes, you're going to see what's going on. So as a run and go church, let's look at Ephesians 5.21 from last week. And then, so I want you to get the context, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you in the New Living Translation. Ephesians 5.21 says this, and further, my wife always says, and further to that whenever we're talking. So I like that. And further, what does he say? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Look at your Bibles, verse 21. What is Paul saying? Paul is telling us, he calls on us believers to honor Christ by honoring, loving, and helping one another. Okay, he hasn't talked about marriage yet, so what do we do? And further, submit to one another. And now he turns his attention to those who are married. Let me first and foremost give you the role of the wife. Wait a minute, Pastor, time out. Why you got to talk about wives first? Well, Paul did, and I don't know why. I couldn't find anything why Paul addressed wives first. But he does. And so here's the role of the wife. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. What does this mean? Well, what Paul is telling us, guys, is for wives, this means submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, to the Lord. Now, in order to fully understand why Paul is exhorting both husband and wife, we need to grasp the context of the times. Okay? Let me give you the context. I'm going to give you a little bit of, of history. Paul, in writing, is, is to provide a beautiful and redemptive Christian framework for marriage that stands in a bold contrast to the world in the first century, much to like today. Your godly marriage should look different than the world. Come on, somebody. You got real quiet. Your godly marriage should look different than the world. Well, some of the worlds have really good... Yeah, they do. But are they godly? Are they godly? And Paul says, no, no, no. I understand this. I understand this. And so Paul's understanding this in the first century... He, here are the ways that women were treated in the ancient world at the time of Paul. You ready? Number one, the, in the Jewish world, in the first century, women were little more than servants. See, many Jewish men prayed each morning, quote, God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman, end quote. The provision for divorce and remarriage in Deuteronomy 24 had been distorted to include virtually any offense or disfavor in the eyes of the husband. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You go, what does that mean? Well, this morning, I was blessed because my wife got up and she made me breakfast. And, uh, you know, I like my toast medium. She burnt the toast, Jeremiah. She burnt the toast. How could you burn toast? She's out of here. That's exactly how they treat. It was that, that that was it. 
If she burned the toast, you could divorce her. If you came home and all the laundry she did was on the bed because she hadn't had a chance to fold it yet, and you said, why is my clothes not folded? You women are looking. I didn't write this, okay? You women are looking at me like I wrote it. I didn't write And uh, that's what they would do. You know what? Hey, man. Yeah, I think I'm going to think I'm, I think I'm gonna give her her walking papers, bro. Yes. My underwear wasn't folded. No, no. Right? Let me give you marriage tip number one. Don't ask your wife, men, when dinner's going to be ready when she's out mowing the lawn. Okay? Just marriage tip number one. <laughs> that was Jewish. In the Greek, in the Greek, it was worse. You go, what do you mean? See, concubines at this time were so common that a wife's role was simply just to bear legitimate children and to keep the house. Yeah, yeah, these young kids are like, I want to get married. I need to find someone to have my kids and clean the house. That's how bad it was. And Greek men, really, that's all they used them for because of the concubines. And so the reason they divorced their wives, there wasn't wasn't any recourse against them. They're like, they're doing what they're supposed to. But if I want the party girl, the concubine is where it's going to be. That's Greek. Now, it even gets worse. In Roman society, things were still worse. Marriage was more than just legalized prostitution, I found out. With divorce being easy, uh, legal formality that could be taken advantage of as often as you desired. In the Roman world, for you to have four, five, six divorces was not a big deal. Many of the women in the Roman society, did not want to have children because it ruined their bodies. And feminism became common. Women began to lord it over men, increasingly took the initiative of getting divorced. In the Roman, they were the ones going, what, and ruin all this? No. Bye-bye. You, you get it, right? So you have Jewish, you have Greek, and, you have, and so Paul understands this, and now he's writing to who? The church. He's writing to the church. He reflected on all of these situations, and he's like, man, in every situation, women were treated terribly, and men used their social privilege for their own advantage. In the Roman world in particular, women were gaining some social and legal freedoms that encouraged them to shirk their family for responsibilities in favor for primitive feminism. So Paul's admonition to wives and husbands, he writes in 22 to 33, was doing this. You ready? Jot this down. It's actually a redemptive corrective for all three situations. This is how we correct it. This is how we correct it. Now, this is the mindset. This is the history of what was going on. We can see a lot of that creeping into our world today. A lot of that. A lot of that. Now, back to our study. What happens? Well, look at verse 22 once again. It says, wives, what is that word? Submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, let me just say this, guys. Let me just say this. Um, Many men, many men will take this verse and, I mean, and, and here's what it means. They abuse this verse in the Bible. They'll look at their wives and go, hey, you need to submit. The Bible says you're submitting to me. Why aren't you submitting? You're submitting. And, and my wife needs to be in submission. She needs to submit. When I'm the king of the castle, everything I say, I go, well, and, and she comes in lovingly thinking you need to be the head of the house. You need to be the pastor of your home. And you're using this word. And they abuse this word. And it's like, no, 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 no. Hold, hold, calm down, man. Men take this verse that wives are to submit in everything and anything to their husbands, whatever they want to do. And I started to think about this. You got it wrong. You need to know what that verse means. So first and foremost, your head needs to go back to verse 21. We are to submit to each other. We're supposed to... See, see, God made our wives a helpmate. Men, we need help. I heard one amen. The rest of the men are like, well, I don't need any help. 
We need help. God made a helpmate. But women, he made you a helpmate. Not to lord it over them either. Yeah, but you don't know my husband. I get it. I get it. Men. Men. Men that are married. Can we agree that we married way above our pay grade? Can we agree? We Listen, we look in the mirror and go, I don't even know how I got that. I don't even know how she liked me. This is crazy. But, but I'll just keep her. God knows that we needed a helpmate. But we forget that from time to time, don't we, men? We forget that. Can I just say this? It's sin. It's sin. So men, take this verse, and you'll hear it. You need to submit to me. And, and I, I, I found there's a scene from a movie, The Princess Bride. I've never seen the movie, but it goes something like this. You keep using that word, but I don't think, I don't think it means what you think it means. And so, again, they're using a word that they don't understand what it means. Warren Wiersbe writes, and I want to quote him because he can say it far better than me. He says, when a Christian wife submits herself to Christ, come on somebody. When a Christian wife submits her to who first? And lets him be the Lord of her life, she will have no difficulty submitting to her husband. This does not mean that she becomes a slave or a doormat, for the husband is also to submit to Christ. If both are living under the lordship of Christ, there can only be harmony. Headship is not a dictatorship. Come on, men. Each other, for each other, both for the Lord. For the Lord. Now, we have to go, why? Why, why? women? He says, unto the Lord. Unto, this is your role. This is your role. You are to submit to your husbands unto the Lord. Unto the Lord. It doesn't say, well, you don't know my husband. Lord, you don't know. Listen, he's nothing how I married him. He, I thought he would. You don't know. No, as you submit unto the Lord, you submit. God, here he is. And submission means you're praying for him, women. You're praying for him. He needs help. You're praying for him. Think about it. Think about it. This is the role. Why? Well, look at what he says. Remember the mystery of the church. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, because the husband is the head and Christ is the head, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands, and everything, and everything. Now, I want you to note the word, be subject. For the husbands, let the, the, it says, therefore, just as the church is subject, there's the word submissiveness, submissiveness. As the church, all of us, are submissive to Christ. As our Lord and Savior, he says, this is a picture of this is how marriage should be. This is how marriage should be. Wives are submissive to their own husbands. Now, before the husband nudges his wife and says, yeah, <laughs> you need to submit, girl. Come on. No, 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 no. Remember the word that Paul tells us, men. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, here's what he says. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. We're under submission. We're under submission. Husbands, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Your wife is more than your wife. It's God's daughter. It's God's daughter. I don't think he would like you treating his daughter that way. You are under the submission. We don't bow up and go, yeah, she needs to do what I say. When I go home, I'm the, I rule the roost. You know? It's not like, hey, you need to submit to me. Baby, we don't have any money for a pontoon boat. I wanted a boat. We're going to have a boat. And you better work a double shift so I can have that. That is sad. That's not good. Men, we need to be the leaders. We need to represent Christ to our wives. We need to repent when the Lord convicts us. Can I get an amen? And that's hard for us, man. We're prideful. Look, who wouldn't want this? 
But seriously, we need to repent. We need to repent. I understand, and if you understand the role that God gives you, you are the head of that family. You don't look at it like you're the boss of all things, but that you go, oh man, I have to give an account for my wife. The marriage relationship, church, there's authority from Christ to the husband and from the husband to the wife. And the authority of Christ is the authority from God. And we need to follow that. So what are wives? What's the role of the wife? You ready, wife? You are to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Can I get an amen, men? Can I get an amen, women? But it doesn't stop there. It... They're also to respect their husbands. Look at verse 33b, the very last verse. I want to show you. 33b. It says, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. I want you to circle that word. Why? Because here's what it means. It has such an awe or respect for a person as to involve a measure of fear. Not that you're afraid of your husband, but it shows to show great reverence for and to show great respect for. I want you to think about this, women, and don't beat me up after church. Our human sinful nature as wives will come out in disrespect. Although we are fully born-again believers, it sometimes creeps out in order to keep our husbands in their place or get back at them for something They did. We will disrespect them. Paul is going to address us husbands and he's going to tell us that you need to love your wife. But in Ephesians, he doesn't tell the wives to love their husbands. He says, submit and respect. Why? You don't have to tell a woman to love you. She loves you. That's in her nature. She will love you. She will come alongside you. But respect, that's what breaks down a man. Listen to me, wives, listen to me. When you publicly criticize your husband in front of others, even jokingly, it can bring him to the point where you're destroying your own household. When you criticize, well, you're such a dummy. Oh, my husband's so, you're so stupid. Ha, ha, ha. And he's that, and it does that around everybody. That is disrespect. Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't call him things like dumb or stupid or yell at him in front of family or friends. There's a lot of ways. I, but, but also, too, i got to tell you, husbands, don't disrespect your wives. Don't do the same thing. Paul tells us, guys, in order, let the wife see that she respects. There's that honor and fear. If you're a believer here today and you're single, think about this. You should respect the Lord. You should respect that. In fear and awe of who He is. And sometimes we get too comfortable in our marriages and sometimes we get too comfortable in our walks that we sort of just go, oh, the guy upstairs, the man upstairs, he's cool, yeah. No, 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 no. This is our father. He demands awe and respect. He's amazing and wonderful. Let me say this to you. You ready? Jot this down. Our Heavenly Father will never disrespect you. He never has. You've never been in a group of people where the Lord comes down and goes, yeah, look at my friend. <laughs> and, he, and, and he says, How? and they're really dumb. They're really dumb. I can't believe they did that. He would never do that. He would never do that. So the role of the wife, you ready? Submit as unto the Lord. Lord, you're first, and I'm going to submit it to the husband. Now you go, Now, let me say this. I've said it before. Once you say, I do, that's the one for you. 
Once you say I do, that's the one for you. And so, when you go, my, you don't know my husband, you don't know my wife. No, God does. God does. Now again, we could, we could spend months on this, but remember, submission is unto the Lord and respect. I need to respect him. I need to just, I need to honor him. I need to just make sure. Even if you feel, even if you feel like, oh, I want to strangle him. One time they asked um, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, do you ever feel like divorcing Billy? She goes, divorce, no. Murder, yes. <laughs> True story. True story. I get it. I can't tell you, I, I probably um, can't tell you how many times Nathalie wanted to murder me. And... I would have been better off if she did. But the point is, the point is, is that's not what God wants. Why? Because our marriage, our marriage should be a reflection of Christ in the church. Your marriage should be a reflection of the Christ in the church. So we know the role of the wife, but what's the role of the husband? Before husbands get so puffed up, look at verse 25. Husbands, here's your role. You ready? Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify, cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. For what purpose, Lord? That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Blemish. Let's go back. Look at your Bibles. Husbands, love. Circle that word for love. Why? Here's what Paul is referring to. Men, listen. He's referring to the sacrificial actions for the benefit of the wife. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I, I just have to say it. I'm going to step on your toes. Please forgive me. Men, God created you to work to take care of your wives. He created you for that. To sacrifice. Sacrifice for their benefit. You understand that. Selfishness does no longer exist, although you battle with it all the time. When it comes to who gets, who gets to eat and who doesn't get to eat, you don't get to eat, man. They need to eat. You need to take care of them. This is what Paul is saying. He says, sacrificial benefit of the wife. The model for this kind of love is actually demonstrated by Christ. Why? He gave his life for the Lord, for, for us. It was action. Can you imagine if the God of the universe and Jesus came down and said, hey, I love you. And you're like, okay. But he didn't show it. He didn't demonstrate it. We kind of get this weird feeling like, did he really love me? Does he love me? Right? We'll be picking daisies. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. And then we try to find the one where he says he loves me. Anybody remember doing that? All the way, yeah, you guys remember, all the way home. Oh, I'm in love. Here it is. He loves me. He loves me not. And then you get to, he loves me not, and you find another flower. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves, he loves me. Yay. God says, no, 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 don't pick the daisy. Here's the deal. I'm going to show you. Okay, you ready? Jot this down in your notes. You've got to jot this down. Ready? Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not, dun, 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 dun. <sighs> we were listening to music and I just fell in love with her. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice. Because the word agape, or love there, is agapeo. It's agape love. It's the same way. And, and here it is. It's a love in a social, moral, unconditional love. Unconditional. You're, you come home, your wife's hair's like this. She has no makeup on, wearing, wearing sweats. That's not how you look like at our wedding. No, it's, it's unconditional. Baby, you look great. You look great, baby. Because we look the same way to Christ, don't we? Our hair, no makeup, all the... And Christ goes, I still love you. Why? Because... Because God looks at the inside, not the outside. He looks at the inside. Listen, 
when you first get married, if you're young, you have these young kids and, and everything is upright. And then you start getting older and everything goes south very fast, doesn't it? So it's got to be it's got to be an inner in, internal things that you find love. You got to look at her and go, "Man, you're just as beautiful why? because you're looking at the inside." You're looking at the inside. And it's the same thing for us as we get older with the Lord. He doesn't go, "Oh, man, you're getting old, dude." He says, "I love you the same." So what's Paul telling us? This means that 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 love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I'm, gonna, I'm not lying to you up here, guys. It's hard to do because we're so stinking with this flesh sometimes. Oh. How did, how did Christ love the church? Listen, he gave his life for her to make her holy and clean. Let me tell you a story very quickly. How much time do I have? Though quickly. When Nath and I were, were married, I got an opportunity. We, yeah, we've been married, but when we were young married, I got an opportunity to move in for business and uh, move from New Mexico to Missouri. Now, in our culture, you don't just move. You stay close by and take care of family and all that stuff. I wanted to see the world. I said, baby, let's, I got an opportunity. Let's move to Missouri. You know what? And I would, every time I wanted to talk to her about moving to Missouri for business, she was, I'm going to bed. I don't want to talk about it. I'm going to bed. I'm going to bed. And so, because she loved me, it was a choice. She says, we'll move. You want this, honey? We'll move. I knew it was a choice. I knew she didn't want to go. I, you know how I know from, from Santa Fe all the way to Missouri? You'll see a line of heels dragging like this. There's, <laughs> you can't miss it today. Just go to Oklahoma. You'll see it. But she went because she made a choice. She went. Now, God used it in an amazing way because my kids got to grow up with, with, with lightning bugs and all kinds of having a yard and all that good stuff. But here's the point. When I began to pray about ministry and coming back to New Mexico and getting plugged in and really serving the Lord, there's no, there's no heels on the way back because my walk with God, I was, I, was, I was in tune with the Lord that she saw that and she came in and she goes, I'll support you whatever you want to do. And I saw that, church. I saw that. I wasn't praying over here. It's me, business, going for business, going to make money, going to be a millionaire. Let's go. She's like, oh, you didn't even know it's good. And over here, Lord, yeah, let's do whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. We have to be willing to sacrifice unto the Lord for them. Verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Why? He who loves his wife loves himself. Man, did you catch this? Did you catch this? For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. We love our own bodies, don't we, men? We take care of it. We take care of our... I mean, this, this is the whole point. He says, he says this, you need to love your wife like you love your own body. You need to love that. You need to love that. You need to, you take care of yourself. Boy, you get a, you get a paper cut and, oh, you, you put a band-aid right away. I don't want, oh. Any of you ever have a man cold? Any of you ever, Francis, you know what I'm talking about? You know what a man cold is? <laughs> Baby, I'm sick. <laughs> I can't breathe. I'm right. You know what a man cold is? A man cold is where it's not too bad, but you're milking it a little bit. We take care of ourselves. He says, the Lord is so good because he says, hey, um, that's how you need to love your wives. You need to love your wives. Now, this is just a side note and very personal. You need to make sure wife isn't stubborn either. Just saying. Because when you go to take care of her, she can't say no to you. Okay, I've got to tell the story. 
My wife wasn't feeling good one time. She was coughing a lot. And so I was taking care of her. And I was saying, hey, here, here. I give her, I give her drugs, you know, here, take some aspirin, do this. And she won't take them herself, but I give her some. And so she's sitting on the chair and she's like this. And she's like, I can't, I'm not. I said, baby, you need to get in the bed. You can't sleep in the chair. I'm going to sleep in the chair. True story. Baby, you need to get in the bed. Let's, nope. You need to get, you know what she told me? Make me. <laughs> yeah. Picked her up. No, I said, baby, you got to get them. And so we put some pillows up. But you know what? We got to nurture them that way. And I understand, because women don't feel like they deserve or feel any worth to be loved like that. But man, we have to. We have to. We have to. For this reason, verse 31, notice what he says. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, what's Paul doing? Paul is quoting Genesis 2.24. But again, think about this. Marriages are under attack. In an article that I found written by Chuck Lawless, here's what he states. Ready? This is Chuck saying, He says, I've studied spiritual warfare for more than 20 years, and I'm continually reminded how the enemy attacks Christian marriages. From the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, he has sought to lure individuals and couples into his traps. He wants to weaken or destroy marriages. He delights when the children are wounded in the process without suggesting the devil made me do it philosophy. I list here some of the enemy's primary tools over the years. Okay, jot this down. You ready? Number one, this is a primary tool. Neglect. Jot that down. The same couple that spent all their dating time together grows apart after the wedding. The neglect is usually subtle, though, which is the way the enemy often works. You know how that works? I told her I loved her when we got married. If anything changed, I let her know. And you just, you go off doing your thing. That's, that's the number one tool. That's the number neglect. Number two, he says, sin. We can't get around this one. Regardless of what a sin is, disobedience that weakens one's relationship with God also weakens our relationship with our spouse. Number three, blame. That's what Adam did in the garden and what we often do. When it's not my fault, I don't have to worry about changing. My spouse does. No, no, no. It's our fault. Men. Men, listen to me. Women, listen to me. It's far better to restore and build a relationship than win the argument. You can win the argument and destroy your marriage. Blame. Can you imagine Adam? Lord, as the woman you gave me, take her out, but bring me somebody else. No, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Listen, because nobody knows where Adam was during this time. Eve is talking to a snake. And Adam should have been right there going, baby, no, 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 God's over here. Uh-uh, uh-uh. He should have been nurturing her. She'd been taking care of her. We've been chasing butterflies over here. Oh, look at that. <laughs> what? Take a bite of this? Okay. Number three, selfishness. That's big, selfish. Too often couples commit themselves one to another until death us part during the wedding ceremony, but then lift lives as the others don't exist. Pastor, I want you to do our wedding. Not after this. Watch this. Secrets. Anytime we're hiding anything, especially from our spouse, the enemy's winning in some ways. Honesty breaks the enemy's strongholds. Repent. Anger. Many of us have lived this experience. Uncontrolled, unleashed anger can destroy the bond between husband and wife. Ask the Lord, Lord, why am I angry? What's the real issue? What's the real issue? Prayerlessness. A couple that does not pray together misses an opportunity to strengthen their marriage. In fact, their prayerlessness says that they can handle marriage without God's help. Eight, financial fights. This happens especially when you live for wealth and security, most often in doing so at the expense of spending quality and quantity time with your spouse. He wrote on several more, but here's, here's, here's what you might be thinking. Well, Ben, I'm single. I'm single. I'm widowed. I'm divorced. How does this marriage uh, apply to me? How does what Paul is saying? Well, think about it this way. 
marriages are under attack in the article and apply, but I want you, here's what I want you to do. Apply them to your walk with God. If you're in here and you're single, you go, I'm not sure what you mean. Well, think about this, guys. Neglect. Can you, can you neglect Jesus in your life as a single person? Absolutely. Absolutely. What about sin? Yes, sin always weakens our relationship with God. Think about habitual sin. See, I told you there was something for everyone. How about blame? What do you mean? When things don't go right with you, we tend to blame God, and that weakens us. God, come on. You said to lose. And, and, and I mean, there's a lot, guys. Think about this. Blame. Guys, think about, think about selfishness with our, in our walks with God. Listen, you were created to, to worship Him. You, you were bought with a price. You're no longer your own. I don't know. I want to restore my heart. I want to restore my heart. Uh, secrets. Well, you can't keep secrets from God. He knows everything, but you think you can. Prayerlessness. You see my relationship with God? Not a big deal. I don't have to pray. He knows. So there's a lot of good application in marriage here, guys, that we can take, even if you're single, if you're widowed, if you're divorced. You can take these and, and nurture your relationship with God. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I said this to one of the college kids. I said, listen, you want the best wife for you? Run hard and fast after the Lord. And then look to the side and see who's running with you. That's the one you want to be with. That's the one. Running hard and fast after. Oh, you're running hard and fast after? Cool. Want to get a cup of coffee? Yeah. Boom. But for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Guys, think about this. Think about this. The enemy uses the tools, all of the tools in marriage that he uses on your relationship with God. And again, you guys get my point. There's something for everyone. So let's finish up with verse 33. Again, I say to you, let each man, what? He must love his wife as he loves himself. This is the role of the husband. Agape love. Nurture your wife. Respect your wife. Submit to your wife. Listen to me. Life gets so busy. Life gets so busy that you forget to nurture that relationship. And all of a sudden, you walk in your house and you're roommates. You're not husband and wife. And you walk by and you're like, hey, high five, how's it going? See you later. And you're out the door. No, no, no. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, wives, here's your, here's your role. Husbands, here's your role. Nurture her. Nurture her. And then for the rest of us, listen, as believers, we need to nurture our relationship with God. You need to be spending time with God. You need to be, you need to be submitting to God. Ooh, you cannot say, Lord, with my husband, with my wife, I made a mistake so many years ago. But I'm stuck with that. You need to say, Lord, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do my part. Church, you got to grasp this. As we close, rules, commandments, imperatives without a relationship, chapters 1 through 3, will always bring rebellion. And there... For we conclude that if we're rebelling, that's what strains our marriage. Listen, it's no mistake you're here. It's no mistake. This is what you needed to hear. Now, if you're sitting there with your arms crossed and you go, Praise God. Because what he does is he wants to expose those things in our heart that we need to deal with. And I go, Lord, thank you so much. I didn't realize. And maybe many of us in our lives, quite honestly, we didn't realize how angry we were and how hateful we were and how disrespecting we were. 
And the Lord had to reveal it to us. And you repent. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. You're right. I have blown it, man. I have blown it. How to have a godly marriage. We need to submit to the Lord. Why? Because picture a triangle here. God on the top, us on the bottom here. Okay? The closer we walk to God, the closer we'll walk to each other. If one of us is here, look how far you are. If the other way around, but say, hey, we're walking, we're walking, we're walking, we're walking, we're walking. Oh my goodness, look how close we are. Because you're closer to God. So what do you do? Focus on walking with God. Well, pastor, what if I never get married? God, God puts those in you. There are some folks that are like, I'm cool. I'm great. And that's okay. That's good. That's good. Because being single, Paul says, man, you can do so much for Christ. Once you get married, now you've got to tend to your wife first. When you're single, if there's a mission trip, you can go. If there's something you want to do, you could go. But now, oh no, I've got to work. I've got to take care of my wife. I've got to take care of my... And now you have a little, a little baby. Oh, how cute. Now you've got to take care of them. Okay. Next week. Next week, we're going to continue with the family unit. And I find it interesting because it's right around Mother's Day. Before we partake in communion together, let me leave you with this. When it comes to marriage, God uses it to teach us so much about him, about the kingdom, and about ourselves. Let me leave you with this story, and then I'm going to ask the ushers to come. On their 50th wedding anniversary, during the banquet celebrating it, 50th anniversary, Tom was asked to give his friends a brief account of the benefits of marriage of such a long duration, 50 years. Tell us, Tom, just what is it that you've learned from all those wonderful years with your wife? An anonymous voice yelled from the back of the room. Tom responded, well, I've learned that marriage is the best teacher of all. It teaches you loyalty, meekness, forbearance, self-restraint, forgiveness, and a great many other qualities you wouldn't need if you'd stayed single. End quote. Marriage is a good learning tool. And Paul says, your marriage is a direct reflection. Your marriage. I'm going to ask the ushers to come as we pray. I want to share with you that at Calvary Chapel, we have open communion. And open communion means as long as you're a believer, you can take it. You don't have to be a member of our church. And what I'd like for you to do as these men start to pass this out, just hold them because we're going to take them together. We're going to take it together as a family. But first and foremost, listen to me. I never want to leave our meeting even talking about marriage without giving you an opportunity. You see, the Bible says that we're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. As believers, we're the bride of Christ. But maybe you're here today and you go, I, I don't think I'm part of the bride. I don't think I'm part of the family. I don't think I've ever given my life to the Lord. Well, maybe today the Lord is speaking to you. And he's telling you, Today's the day to get right. So with every eye closed for the most part, unless, unless the elements are coming your way, with every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, you know what? Would you pray for me? I don't think that I'm, I don't think that I'm the bride of Christ. You were saying some things. I don't think that I'm, I'm right with God. But I want to be today. I want to open my heart. I want to invite him inside. I want to be saved. I want him I want him and my marriage to glorify the Lord. You see, the Bible calls it being born again. And this is the most special, most wonderful time in your life, but you've got to do it. You've got to say yes to Jesus.
If you haven't given your life to Jesus, don't take communion. Because Paul tells us not to take it in an unworthy manner. And we don't need to take the, the, the body and blood of Christ, if you will, the elements. And uh, we're not right, but you can be right. You can be. All you have to do is pray. See, listen, here's the thing. You may feel like you're a million miles away from God this morning, but you're one decision from coming back to him. And all you have to do is say yes to him. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, as you're praying, maybe not, how many of you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not right with God, but I want to be this morning. I want to give my life to him. Would you just lift up your hand? Just want to make sure. Just want to make sure everyone here, if you're not right with God and you want to be this morning, just lift up your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? You just got to ask yourself, just just search your heart. Lord, am I right with you? I want to be. I want to be today. And then all you have to do is just say yes. It's not about joining the church. It's not, we're not going to ask you for money or do anything else. It's about being, being in heaven. But you've got to make that decision. Search your heart for just a moment. Are you right with God? Are you right with God? Pastor, I'm not. And just lift up your hand right now. Nobody else will see you. I'll see you. And I'll acknowledge you one more time. I got you. I got you, brother. Anyone else? Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And we look forward, God, to what you're going to do. As communion is being passed out, hold on to the elements. We're going to take them together as a family. We'll wait for ours up here. Grab yours, gentlemen. Thank you, Joseph. You'll hear me say it again later on, but just know this, that when it comes to baptism, baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. And so if God is doing a work in your life, even if you, you, you go, man, I gave my life to the Lord a long time ago, but you can still get baptized. And we'd love to pray with you. As we have communion elements in our hands, guys, like I said, it's open. It's between you and the Lord. Make sure you're in a right relationship. But the first thing I want to do is take a moment to look within. Lord, am I right with you? Am I right with you? Look at my heart, God. I don't want to take this in an unworthy manner. Look at my heart. Am I right? Show me my blind spots. Let me confess my sin to you. Help me to turn and repent from it. Help me to give my life to you. When you've done that, take a moment to look back. Not only are we looking within, take a look back. Look at all the things that God has done with gratefulness and with a heart. Go, wow, Lord, you're so good. You're so good. And the word of God says that they told the children to write down things down. They told the children of Israel, write things down so when your kids come and go, what's this about? 
You could tell him how grateful you are. Look at all the things that the Lord has done. So we're looking back with thankfulness. God, thank you so much you've brought us this far. And then look forward. Why are we looking forward? Because the best is yet to come. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus told us in Luke that he wasn't going to partake of the communion until he did it in heaven with us. Well, the fact of the matter is that we're taking it today means we're not in heaven yet. So we want to look forward to that day. You see, the Jewish people, when they, when they did communion, they would lift it up and they'd say, one day in Jerusalem, they wanted to go back home. Well, one day we're going to go home. So one day we're going to go home, Lord, but we want to look forward to that day. But while we're here, we've got work to do, church. We've got work to do. We want to tell people. We want to love people. We want to see him in the kingdom. So if you have the elements in your hand, Lord Jesus, we lift him up to you. We look within our hearts and confess our sins to you. Lord, we, we look back with thankfulness and how wonderful and gracious you are, all the things that you've brought us through. And Lord, we look forward to one day doing, with this, doing it with you in heaven. We love you, Jesus. We know it's a celebration, and so we're just, we're just celebrating you as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a break together. When supper was ended, he took the wine and he said the same thing. Take this. This is my blood, which should be shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.